This is football. I'm Kevin Clark. Andrew Whitworth joins today. One of the best interviews we've had since launching this show. We've been very lucky the last couple of weeks, last couple of months with some really smart guests. And Andrew is on the Mount Rushmore, probably. Without further ado, Amazon star, former NFL star lineman, Andrew Whitworth. All right, Andrew Whitworth, Amazon star, uh, TV star, Super Bowl champion, one of the great offensive linemen of his era. What's going on, brother? Man, I'm good, brother. It's a nice little Tuesday morning. Special day. It's your birthday. It is your birthday. Is. What? So, so at this stage in your life, your ideal birthday gift is what, Andrew? Oh man, uh, probably just a little peace and quiet. I got four yeah. kids, three dogs. Uh, you know, wife and I are constantly running around like crazy. So, you know, probably just a little, a little evening of dinner and some quiet is is nice. I was going to say, I decided to, uh, we, we have a kid who's about to turn one. It's our first. And like, that's my ideal day right now. It's just like sleeping in until 745. That's it. That's the yeah, greatest maybe, gift maybe a, Yeah. A glass of wine, a good dinner, maybe a fire pit and I'm good to go. That's it. That's birthday. Hey, um, so you're in media now. You're in your second year. That Amazon production is awesome. I'm curious when guys go into media, a lot of times they change their perspective on some stuff because I've heard people say like, Hey, I never watched my side of the ball very often around the league because I was just getting ready for third down packages that Sunday or whatever it is, or they weren't exposed to a lot of different philosophies. Now they're talking to, to different coaches every single week. Is there something that being in media has changed your perspective on about football since you joined Amazon? Uh, I think you know, one thing is, is that I think media is a, you know, a broad subject now because there's so many different ways it's covered, right? The game, you got everything from, you know, these reactive shows where it's kind of meant to create some controversy to really just talking X's and O's, you know, and then there's really just uh, setting the picture and the narrative and what's going on and kind of telling the story and letting people kind of decide what they want from it. So I think there's so many different ways to cover our game. I think all of them have their place. Um, I think learning that and then realizing yeah. maybe when there's moments that, hey, there's something that you feel like you need to put your foot in the ground and say, I need to communicate this because it's just something on my mind and my heart that I feel is right or wrong about this game and I need to speak up about it. And then learning when there's times to really, you know, don't be emotional and just react right. to a situation. Maybe just tell the story and let people kind of make their decision from, you know, for themselves. And so I think kind of getting a feel for that process and understanding a little bit about your responsibility when you sit in that seat and, and the integrity and everything else that goes with it. I saw some of your tweets about the chiefs call and their reaction to it the other day. Um, first of all, I think we're on the same side offsides is a penalty. And when it, when it is happening, it should be called. I think we can establish that we both feel the same way about that. Were you surprised, maybe even disappointed at the chiefs reaction to it? Cause I found that very strange. I understand being a competitor. Like I fumbled in the Madden game yesterday. And I wanted to, write a letter to my congressman like i understand that kind of thing but andy reed patrick mahomes guys we haven't seen this from getting that upset about a correct call surprised by that andrew um i think you know you're surprised a little bit but i've, I've always gone by the philosophy of, of letting people make it man and understanding i think uh in my life on and off the football field trying to be a leader a captain and somebody that's in the front uh you understand you have to be able to have empathy and understand where people are coming from and i think that that really that reaction from them a lot more to do with how this season's gone and yep. how things have really yep. built frustration for them than maybe the moment. I think probably the next day they're sitting there going, maybe that was a little emotional reaction, you know, and I may want to take some of that back. So I think giving people grace and understanding in that moment, man, you are competing for something that means the world to you. This is, you know, how these guys provide for their families, how they, you know, see themselves as a human being, as football coaches and players and 
all the things they go through every single week to be at their best. And when something like that happens, whether it's for you or against you, it's just such a reaction, right? And so I think really just the emotions of everything is what led to more what we saw. But yeah, I think we're on the same page. I mean, penalties are penalties. And like, we can't go back and say, well, they didn't call it this time or that time. Like if it's a penalty, it's a penalty. And that that's the fact. And I also think that it's different than a live action play. So like, we're not talking about a hold or man, did he touch him or did he not? This is a functional, just, Hey, starting football as an eight year old, we're going to teach you the rules of football. Here's things you need to know. <laughs> and if you, if, if you do these things, they're a penalty. And if you don't, they're not. And so that's a simple thing. We don't need to argue yeah. about that all day. Yeah. Um, you mentioned maybe it's more about the season than the moment. Are the Chiefs close to you, or close for you? Like, are, are they close to solving this thing? Or is this just not going to be the Chiefs you're given what's going on with the rest of the NFL? You know, it feels like every week I get up there on the desk on Thursday night and say, all right, listen, there's no team I believe in more than the Chiefs because they have a factor <laughs> that I think is rare. And that is – this year especially, I've really thought this defense has been opportunistic for them. They've played well in big games for them, but this year they've just been good, and they've been a really good defense, and that's the fact. But they have something no one else has, and that's Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, who don't need a scheme. They don't need all these crazy things to happen. And Andy Reid together, they just find ways to have good football and get offensive production and win in the big moments and make the play that you're like, oh, there's no way they can make it. They find ways to do that. And that's why, to me, they're the most dangerous team in the league because they don't need the Shanahan system. They don't need the McVay system. They don't need any system. They just want to play yard football. And if you leave them with a chance to, get, to win the game, they're probably going to do it. And they've shown the ability to do that. And so every week I feel like I sit up there and I say, they're going to get these things fixed and it's going to look better. And we just it, – it's every week it's the same thing. Wow, they just keep not making the play. So, But I still think if you get them in the playoffs – they're going to be a tough team to get out because it's still the Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid effect, and and Travis Kelsey's there, and that defense is playing well. Uh, they're still going to be a tough out. I just think that they're going to have to make these plays in the moment, or it's going to be the narrative that stays with them all year long. There's, I, I do a mailbag on Sunday night. I, I I kind of take the temperature of the, I guess the consumers uh, via that way, and a lot of them over the past couple of weeks have asked about the offensive line crisis or how how bad offensive lines have gotten around the league, and I think. Certainly, there's a lot of reasons for that. I've talked before. The rookie wage scale made it so that offensive lines have gotten a lot younger. Uh, maybe there's just less. Uh, you know, I remember I talked to Mike McCarthy years ago, and he was like, "You just get, to, you know, in the in the early 2000s, it was mean, old, nasty, 33 year olds, one through five across that line. There, now you're going a little younger. That has something to do with it. Maybe the college game. I'll put it to you: Is offensive line play in the NFL at some sort of low, Andrew? Oh, that's for sure. That's for sure. I mean, I think it's definitely not the quality of what we've seen. I think there's some really good football players out there. That doesn't mean there's not some, you know, guys that are dominating the game at the offensive line position. But if you went into totality, uh, it's rough. And, and there's a lot of weeks where you look and go, man, I don't, I don't know how we can't find another guy, another three or four guys that are better <laughs> than this. Um, it, it's tough to see it. But I, I think there's a lot of things. I think that you know, really, you look at it, the mixture of D linemen we're seeing are getting more and more athletic. They're bigger. They're stronger in the sense of not that they're worse competition, but that may be some of your offensive tackles that are now playing D tackle yeah. or defensive end, stuff like that. And a three, four that could have been left tackles. Right. And and so you see some of that and they're just big, strong, athletic defensive linemen. The lack of time we've talked about. 
I still think that the lack of practice time is a little bit of an excuse just because, I mean, me being somebody who was always looking for getting out of a practice, uh, (laughs) I wasn't some guy that practiced all the time. But in the off seasons, the way I trained and prepared myself led to me having success. And so, I, I, you know, I still think that there's that's a little bit of an excuse. But, yeah, we're definitely at a point where whether it's those guys really coming up and playing the game the right way. I mean, I think if you look at the college game, it's really easy to see why we don't have a lot of those guys. It's not just because they're young playing in the NFL. It's because the college system isn't anything like the NFL system. These guys barely have to block. And so I just think they're coming in unprepared. Can you give me an example? So let's say Roger Goodell comes to you and says, Whit, we're going to solve offensive lines right now. We're going to start the Andrew Whitworth Academy. We're going to get these kids when they're 17, give them consultation on how to improve offensive lines. Like what specifically, you mentioned the college thing, like what do they need to do to prepare themselves for the NFL from a, from a specific technique standpoint, from a preparation standpoint? What is that? Well, I think one of the things we did is, is you know, that I think has been great for football, for the union to continue to attack things about health and safety and how we yeah. practice and how we do things. But I think we may have, in my opinion, we've gone too far in the sense that there's a big difference in requiring guys to come for a long time in the offseason or to two-a-day practices and all that and not developing people. I think there's a huge difference in those two things. So to me, in your first three years in the league, there should be opportunity. Like, for instance, I don't know if people understand this, but in the offseason, when the season ends to when we begin again in late April or mid-April, you're actually not allowed to even go in and work with your coach, even if you want to, because of PA rules. And so to me, if I'm a first year, second year, third year player, like I want to go in the building. This is how I'm going to provide for my family, my life. Like this is the game and the job I want. I'm not allowed to go in and work with the person who's employing me. Like that to me seems a little crazy. Like that's a little too far. And I understand we say, oh, well, they'll pressure them to come up here. Last time I checked, we're all grown adults. Like you make your decisions for yourself. If you want to be great at your job and your boss offers you an opportunity to come get mentored and tutored, how about you take advantage of it? And if you don't want to do it, just say you don't and take the risk that that won't affect you going forward. You're allowed to make that choice for yourself. And so to me, having some kind of rookie development program where we're training these guys, giving them opportunities to come longer. Like when I got in the league, you started the strength program in March. You were there for 13 weeks, not, you know, eight weeks, nine weeks. And some got 10 teams use even less, like having them actual programs in the offseason to train them. To me, that's how you would get the opportunity to get guys in your system with more reps, doing things the way you want them to do them. I remember an old coach telling me, uh, just obviously, I wasn't playing for him, but he was telling me when I was in college, he said, uh, these workouts are mandatory, are not mandatory, but also being great is not mandatory. So just put those two things that's together. It. Like that's, it's all, it's all voluntary. Being great. The Hall of Fame is voluntary. That's right. That is the <laughs> truth. Um, Let's talk about Sean McVay for a second, because he's changed the running structure. He looks like he's a coach of the year candidate. Everybody was counting him out. They had him retired. They were talking about the lack of talent on that team. I was talking about the lack of talent on that team, and he's turned it around. Um, I think everybody on the outside paints with broad strokes about Sean McVay and says, boy, genius, scheme lord, uh, knows how to call the plays, play action, all that stuff. But they don't know what what makes him great specifically. Um, If you're explaining to someone in the league who does not know what makes Sean McVay great, you say what, Andrew? I think it really starts with his ability to communicate. You know, people talk about you know, his intelligence level. They talk about, oh, man, you know, his genius play caller and inventing all these things he did and, and really what he's done schematically across the league. Uh, 
they talk about his leadership and these things. But to me, you walk in a room with Sean McVay, uh, his ability to communicate sticks out of me. I've always said when people walk up to me and they go, hey, you know, tell me about Sean McVay. I'd be like, listen, all you need to do is have a three minute conversation with him. I forget that 60 second conversation with him <laughs> and you'll go, wow, this dude's rare. Because his ability to articulate and communicate football and what he wants out of you as a player, what he sees the game like, his envision, his vision for all that, and what he envisions it going forward, um, comes out crystal clear. And when guys walk out of his team room, they're inspired, they're dedicated, they're focused, and they have a clear understanding of what they're being asked to do. We talk sometimes about guys who are dictators and tough on guys, and you know, oh man, you got to push these guys. Well, maybe that just means maybe you don't have to do that. Maybe it's that you don't communicate well enough. The guys walk out of that room feeling inspired and also educated to go do their job. Right. And so they know how to apply what it is they need to do and take in the information at the same time. And so I think he does a great job of being able to educate and give you the tools to walk out on a field and go play football. And so that's the place it starts from. And then all those other things, they happen, too but it starts with his ability to communicate in a room and give a clear message to his team and a clear focus on what the game plan is. Can you give me an example of something he conveyed to you that, that just blew your mind, whether that's explaining something complicated simply or just conveying something about football to you in a simple way? Yeah, I think the most impressive thing I've ever seen, 11 years in the league, I move over to Los Angeles Rams, his first four weeks of OTAs as a 30-year-old youngest head coach in NFL history. Uh, we spent the first hour or so of team meetings for the first four weeks he had the job explaining what football character looked like what communication looked like visual cues like what are visual cues and how you communicate as a teammate your body language looking upset looking happy showing energy showing passion showing frustration you know how you communicate verbally what are ways that you can communicate and show character in the way you communicate verbally uh you know how do you show what consistency is what is being at your best when your best is required we spent time not talking about football for the first hour of our meetings we spent time in my opinion talking about what it is to be a good person and a good human being and a good athlete and a good football player in general and when you start with a foundation that's built on how do I do the right things, handle myself in the right way and support the people who are around me to where we all elevate together? Uh, I think you got a good chance of having a pretty good football team. And I think to me, it's that kind of thing that he can communicate in a way that makes it clear that we're in this thing together and we all work our, our butts off to elevate each other. It seems to me like to thread the needle like that, because I think there's a lot of coaches who would go through that and lose guys, or they would say, this is high school BS. Is there, is there something that, that made him win over a group of guys who are in many cases older than him because of that? No, it's because it's not cheesy. It's not fake. Right. It's not anything. It's about, Hey man, like here's the realities, bro. Like, you know, when we have a bad play on a football field, if your body language sucks, what is right. that doing for us? Right. And and see, on the flip side, I would say some people say, hey, guys, maybe like all this high school BS. I would say that a lot of coaches are scared and they're fearful. And that's the rally of the league right now. A lot of teams that suck right now. It's because their head coaches are scared to challenge their players as men to act like men. And they're and they walk around it in the interviews. They walk around it in the meetings. And the reality is every player in that room sitting there going, why aren't you telling him he can't act like that? Why aren't you saying that we all have to do it the same way? And that frustration leads to their team struggling 
more than anything else in that entire building is leaving the elephant in the room. A lot of coaches are scared to talk about the elephant and it leads to their team going downhill. That's an incredible explanation. I'm curious, this that Rams team won the Super Bowl. So I think in December or maybe late November, they were seven and five at one point. They go on a three three game losing streak and then they get hot. They had a huge game against the Jaguars. Obviously they get, they had a lost week 18 against the Niners, but they win the Super Bowl. I'm curious, we all talk about playing your best football in December and getting hot at the right time. And some teams fade, some teams don't. Is it a skill as a coach? Because I've seen the Legion of Boom teams or Bill Belichick, where September and October, they're sleepwalking. By December, they're rolling. They're working on things at the beginning of the season. Can you take me through the skill from a coaching standpoint to play your best football in December and January? What that even looks like, Andrew? Yeah, I think it, it's impressive because to me, it, there's this thing I've always said when you get into November and December, the good teams and the bad teams, you can kind of start throwing it out the window because I think it comes down to the bad teams are starting to talk about how do we play for our jobs? And like, hey, they're starting to, it, it's gone past, oh man, we just got to figure it out to a lot of you guys aren't coming back next year if we don't start playing better <laughs> football. Right. And the good teams are thinking, man, we've built a lead. Gosh, we got like we only got to get two more. We only got to get one more win. They're they're counting. I don't care who they are. I don't yeah. care if they're a coach. What are they? They're counting how many wins it takes to kind of go. And it's really to me about what team can make the other team go there in their heads during the football game. And so you watch these games when the bad teams kind of hang around. It's all of a sudden like, oh man, they might win this game. <laughs> and then sure enough, they find a way to do it. And it's because I don't care. It's human nature. You've worked yep. for this long. You're tired. You're exhausted. What is your inspiration? What's your why? And I think the coaches that are able, you know, Pete Carroll sticks out of my mind as one of those guys who's just able to find a, a way to get guys to find their why. Yep. It's the coaches that in November and December can find that why. It's either about their team. It's about themselves. But they know how to trigger whatever it is in their players they're willing to go find their why and play that way in November and December because every team out there, good, bad, or indifferent, is thinking about, man, what's that break going to be like? What's yep. that off-to-season time going to be like? And you got to find a way as a football player, old-school football, to push them there and make them want that break more than you want. All right, more with Andrew Whitworth after this. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace. All this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, use the code OmahaFull and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, you keep those winnings. But if you lose, you get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and up only. Offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 wager only. Must wager with eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager return only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. 
Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Hannah's New Orleans. Maine, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed calling 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-888-427-426-2537 or West Virginia. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. I'm curious, if you, someone comes to you at the beginning of the career and says, I want to win the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award. I'm going to lay the groundwork for it. We are talked about high character and all that stuff, but like the path to becoming that sort of guy in the community is what, Andrew? Oh man. I, you know, I, I was probably the most stubborn uh, candidate over my years just because <laughs> I was somebody like, you know, I ha- I hate that kind of recognition. And then I, but at the same time, I understand why it's important to inspire other people to be active and, and maybe trigger something in their minds to, to do things for people around them. But you know, while I was a candidate, the times I was nominated, like I never would do the the Twitter, like retweet things. I would never do like the Instagram, like, po- like vote for me because I just I struggled with like working for that award. But I would say this. I think that war award is really about, um, you know, obviously it's given to somebody who excels on the football field and does you know, excels personally off the football field and how they make life about other people. And so to me. I think it's about living your life in a way that's not just about you. It's about those around you and about the community you're in and every circle that you walk in. And I've always said this. I don't care if it's my dinner table, uh, my neighborhood, the community I live in, the football team I'm a part of, you know, whatever circle I'm in. I want that circle every single time to feel like, man, it's about them. It's about the circle I'm in. And it's about all of us finding a way to be better. And I'll never want to walk in it and walk out of it and leave it worse than I found it. And so Every community and city that I've gotten to be a part of as a player and a person, I wanted to do something to help say, hey, I want us all to be better in some way. I don't want to be the one that benefits from this. So like end of my career, when I would do my contracts with the Rams, I would have our community relations person that people that are in charge of the community work, Molly Higgins. Uh, who's does an amazing job, I would literally like, hey, listen, like I'm working on my contract. Like if I do that, can we do this homeless shelter? Can I build homes for people? Can we like I want to go hand in hand with this thing? Like I'm trying to get this incentive because if I get this incentive, then this is what I want to do with it. So to me, it was about those kind of things. Like, how can I bring people along with me? No one gets left behind. Let's find ways that if my life's improving, I want everybody else's life to improve. And what can that look like? Is that my time, my voice? money, my effort, whatever it is, let's do it. And so I think to me, it's just a kid, young kid starting off that says, hey, remember how you got here. Remember the people that helped you get to this level of football and don't ever leave any of them behind and keep looking for opportunities to to give them a hug, uh, hold their hand, uh, inspire them to walk in those doors and out of those doors with you. And you know what? See what happens. You know what? I think if you live, you have a great career and you do a lot of great things off the field, Chances are they're going to recognize you for it. And, uh, you know, what a special, special opportunity it was for me and my family. While we were recording, Justin Herbert was officially ruled out for the season, season-ending surgery. Um, how do you fix the Chargers, Andrew? Ooh, you know, it's tough. It's it's a tough situation. I know Brandon Staley personally, you know, he was with us in Los Angeles, yeah. the Rams. 
uh, prior to going to the Chargers. But, you know, I just think, unfortunately, to me, you know, Richard Sherman and I have these conversations a lot of times. There's coaches that we'll see that we believe in. And I'm like, man, I know this guy's a good football coach. And they'll go places and you don't see their unit kind of play the way that you know the level of coach they are. And and, you, and then they move to another team, and all of a sudden it's like, whoa, now they're playing great football. And it's like, why does this team respond to him and this team doesn't? You know, those kind of things. And so with Brandon Staley, it's, it's unfortunate to me that it just feels like, for whatever reason, I know his intelligence, I know what he understands as a football coach, that it just doesn't feel like things are getting better. It doesn't feel like there's that effect of, hey, you're improving things. It feels like, if anything, the defense has always underperformed, and now the offense has continued to kind of struggle uh, in this last part of the season. So it's just they're not in a good place. And, and unfortunately, you've already changed some coaches. You've gone down that road, and we know what goes next, right? And it's like there's going to be all this pressure for Brandon Staley to lose his job. And, you know, I think that without some drastic change, that's got to be something they look at. And I, and I love Brandon, and I think he's a tremendous human being and man, but the truth is sometimes our effect is just not what it is other places. You know, and, and I look at my no different than my move. In Cincinnati, I did think I was a really good football player and, and handled myself in a great way, and I thought I was a good captain. But I don't know if I had the effect on people that when I got to L.A., it just felt like everything kind of worked. And it's like, man, as a captain, as a leader – uh, you know, you kept getting this feedback of guys being like, man, I'm feeding off of you doing this at this age and your leadership and those kind of things. I just think sometimes it's different, different places. Not to say he can't go somewhere else, but right now it just feels like something drastic has got to happen for this football team because they need a spark. They seem like they're playing like zombies right now, uh, not like an inspired football team. A couple quick ones for you. Uh, if you go back in time and get one block back, you get to redo one block in your career. What is it? Oh, well, there's a few of those. Uh, you know, <laughs> I would probably, I'll say this. Yeah, you know, I, I, I would say, I don't know if it's a block. Here, here's what I'd go with. Uh, only because he still lives in my nightmares now. Uh, my rookie year, Monday Night Football in Indianapolis, the old RCA Dome, when the Colts, actually, actually the year the Colts won the Super Bowl uh, in 06, uh, Dwight Freeney. Whew. Oh, yeah. That man was uh, something dangerous on that RCA turf. I think Peyton got a, got him up four scores to start the game or something. It was crazy. Uh, we were way down the whole game, and I had a nightmare of a game against him as a rookie in the NFL playing left tackle. Uh, it was fun. But I, you know what? I was still in that mode of, man, look, I, I'm out here. This is so freaking cool. I'm playing against <laughs> Peyton Manning. It's just unfortunate I had to block against one of the best pass rushers of his generations in Dwight Craney. Um, we do something called uh, badasses here, which is, and maybe the answer is way for anybody could pick anybody. It's the most badass person you've ever been around in football. That could be a teammate. Um, that could be a coach. That could just be anybody uh, with you or against you. The most badass person in football you've ever been around, Andrew, was who? Oh, man. Gosh, you're going to make me do this. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get some text on this one. Here, here's what I'll say. You know what? If you would have asked me this in 2016 – it would have been James Harrison without question. I mean, him and Terrell Suggs probably neck and neck. I think that that you talk about eras changing of offensive linemen. Eras have changed. The eras changed, and the generations have changed of those guys too. Those guys eliminated a side of the field. They were great pass rushers. They were physical phenoms, big, strong, powerful dudes who were literally like the face of their defenses. Like everyone knew when you had to play Terrell Suggs and the Ravens, it's on if you're a left tackle. And it, offensively, that whole side of the field is probably out for us running the football. And James Harrison, the same thing. You just don't see many guys like that anymore now that just dominate the game. It would, be, it would have been one of those two guys. 
But since going to the Los Angeles Rams, I mean, I got to tell you, the baddest dude I know is, is Aaron Donald. I've never yep. seen anybody that is as strong, as powerful, as athletic, as talent, gifted, but works harder than anybody on the planet. I don't care. You can tell me the walk-on quarterback guy's story. You can tell me the scout team guy's story. They all work really hard. None of them work harder than Aaron Donald. And and so when people say, why is this dude one of the greatest? Well, I think he's the greatest defensive lineman ever, in my opinion. The reason is, is he is as talented as anybody that's played the game. He works harder than anybody I've ever seen in football. And that is what leads to you being one of the greatest that's ever played this game. Is there something with Donald that you can point to where you say, okay, he didn't, he, he worked at this and now he perfected it, just a part of his game? Uh, it, well, I mean, mainly the main thing is that it's relentless. Every day I go yeah. in the weight room, I don't care if he's hurt or not. The dude's pounding weights, lifting weights. Uh, he's outside on bags. He's doing all the knife drills and the hand stuff, the <laughs> hand fighting. I mean, you look at it like, here's a guy who was already dominant. And then we see all these drills he does, all these things like, what people I don't think understand is like he, he already made the money. He's already a superstar. Like he didn't have to do any of that stuff, but all off season long, the dude never misses a day. He grinds every day. Like he's never made a cent in this league. And he is the epitome of the guy who treats it like it's day one, every single time he goes to work. And that's why he's one of the rarest dudes on the planet. And uh, I, I'm really glad I don't have to face anybody like that anymore. <laughs> Awesome, man. All right, Andrew, this was incredibly illuminating. Enjoy your birthday. Happy birthday. Have a great week. Thanks for coming to Mrs. Football, man. Hey, appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Have a great week. Awesome. Thanks, man.